0: See. What, is what are those we? streaks of light coming? Oh, okay. It's, it's a, probably just the light behind me. from my. Uh, yeah, it's a you streaky know. light. Here I'll turn on my
1: front light here. What are we uh, trying to figure out what episode we're on?
0: Losing track.
1: 16, 17? 17. 17. We are 17 now. Sheesh. 17.
0: And we counted the ones we skipped.
1: Uh no I didn't count those these are actual episodes that we've done of the actual episodes okay. done's doesn't seem
0: 17. like it's been that many. Hmm. Well, I mean, uh, that's a lot. Yeah, that's...
1: I can't believe we that. I uh, can't
0: believe we've thought of that many things to talk about. Actually, <laughs> I know it is kind of surprising, <laughs> considering that we don't talk about sports, which we could talk about every week the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Let's but we that. don't talk about sports, so it's just a kind of an unusual thing.
1: Our first episode was posted on November 9th, so I think we probably... We might have recorded it November 9th as well.
0: December, January, February, March. So four months, time Thurs, uh 16, 17 is about right.
1: Yeah. Surprisingly, with the, I think we've only missed like for... You know, an actual two. episode. Yeah, one or two. Yeah, think two. Yeah, we've rescheduled a few of them. Like this yeah,
0: one. that's true. And then we had them where we did them on a different night, like like this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So uh, big big goings on in Japan.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, I've already started with the jokes, which I'm not gonna even come close to yeah, yeah. saying. But I heard them on the radio this morning, so. And I guess everybody finds humor in everything, so. Well, uh,
1: mostly, you not know, every- I, I think it's.
0: Uh, I think this kind of thing is beyond humor to me. I mean, I just can't.
1: I mean, uh, can't, I guess it's, it's. There's two ways that I go on it. You know, on the one hand, it's insensitive to make everything um, to, to co-opt somebody else's uh, pain as as your own humor uh in especially right in the middle of it, but on the other hand there's a sort of um there's a party that that where it's like as a comedian the way i deal with with like nervousness or uh discomfort or uh tragedy is uh humor you know that was that was on my d v d the why I'm going to hell joke was all was all about you know, I was in a very awkward situation with mom, and I, I, I just thought I have to think of something funny to break the break the ice or whatever. Yeah,
0: I know, I didn't so, like that, but that's I know, I know. <laughs> but, uh, your audience probably didn't mind it.
1: Well, I mean, it, I don't think that it was. You know, they, they see here's like the way it, it wasn't really insensitive. It's it, it's a just here's a, the way
0: I think about this kind of stuff. Certain things are very easy. To make fun of. You know, like Lindsay Lujan is easy to make fun of. Yeah. I'm actually easy to make fun of, to tell you the truth. I mean, I'm like no test at all to make fun of. (laughs) And Japan and the people of Japan and the history of Japan and the, the geographics of Japan are very easy to make fun of, I mean, I could just right off the top of your head, you could start with maybe twenty things, you know, just ramble them off mm. so I think that adds to you know the jokeability of anything that happens in Japan. you know it's just it's just it's the same way with me i feel i like, I feel that like almost on a very frequent basis that I'm way too easy to poke fun at. Right, right. But it's because of the way I've placed myself in society that causes that. So it's you know, it's kind of goes off the duck's back. That's the end of that discussion. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do like a
1: discussion about jokes, uh, you know, inappropriate or otherwise. But you know, well, yeah, we can talk about jokes. That's good. It's I guess what I'm saying is just there's a certain uh, feeling you get where you're like. Lewis Black made a very strong point um, where he said everybody on September 12th woke up and said, well, that really F's up my plans. And uh, because that was his whole thing was he's like, I don't care who you were. I don't care if you were, you know, uh, you had to go feed the Christian children and, you know, whatever it is, September 12th, you were like, now I got to feed a you more or whatever so whatever your plans were on 9-11 something happened and the next day it's like well now that really screws up my whole everything i was gonna do in his case he was getting ready to record a cd he had all this material ready he was he was doing it like on the 14th of that month and uh ended yeah. up putting it off for another year year and a half i think it was because he had to write all new material
0: think about the people that live in manhattan
1: yeah oh absolutely (laughs) i mean i would change change.
0: their next day (laughs) oh yeah well i think he was living
1: in new york at the time because he worked for the daily show and he lives in new york so yeah you know it's that sort of thing though it's that where it's like something happens completely outside of your control and and it takes away your day-to-day activities and uh, as a sort of a coping mechanism i think there's a Feeling that, like, well, I have to joke about it because then I can get a semblance of my normal life back in light of all of this. But it, it to where, yeah. On on the one hand, there's just the people who who were just insensitive. But then I think that to me, it's the idea of people trying to get back to like a semblance of normalcy. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but that's that's the way I feel.
0: So. Well, I had. Uh... The nine eleven thing. There were people that I talked to. That office at the trade center, insurance company, brokerage people, mm-hmm. that probably died in that. You know, I mean, they were not people that I would consider close friends. I wouldn't know them if I saw them, but they were people that were like contacts that I would call and they would answer the phone kind of thing or else they would send me an email or you know that kind of thing yeah yeah some of those people undoubtedly killed in that uh, in that crash Uh, because most of these companies that I'm talking about reopened offices in other areas of the New York area and uh, you know had a completely new batch of people to communicate with and i didn't know these people personally enough to you know have a tremendous concern for them other than just what you would feel as a human being but it was kind of weird to to know that they were people that i talked to like the day before that uh you know they probably got killed (laughs) Yeah, yeah in that that thing i mean they just woke up that morning and went to work and that was it you know it's just yeah. kind of weird it's kind of even strange.
1: even if they live through it their lives never be the same kinda, you
0: know no no forever absolutely you know? yeah. not well you just think about all the people that you you know that new people i mean that yeah, yeah. You know, it's just it's an unbelievable thing but anyway we can get off of that topic because and <laughs> the whole the whole idea of Things from this decade—the nine eleven thing, the, the Katrina—you know, the uh, the oil spill, the tsunami, the Obama recession. I mean, <laughs> it's been a it's been a period. It's just like people today. Tell their kids and their grandkids about the turbulent '60s when you know both Kennedys were assassinated, Martin Luther King was assassinated. Yeah. Uh, but we went to the moon. Uh, so there's oh, uh, there's something you know that you can talk about. Maybe that's you know going to come come rolling out of this. I know one thing is that I read a very positive piece on a subject that. I just with friends for a long time and that is that solar power is going to become such a reality of everyday life that it's going to change everything from the standpoint of power generation which is going to be a really good news but some Asian companies some of them based in Japan have been doing a tremendous amount of work on tackling the use of solar energy and solar power in our everyday lives so that in a very short period of time from right now we're gonna see solar power which right now is kind of like uh it's almost kind of like a hippie thing. Yeah. You know yeah. you see pictures of guys with the with the with the dreadlocks. So little cell sheets on oh, their okay, roof yeah. and stuff. Well, see, this is this is not going to be what it's going to be. It's going to be just like now. You don't actually see the electric generating plant that's sending you your electricity. Yeah, you're not going to see the solar plant either. Right. But that's what it's going to be. It's going to be solar cells generating all the electricity. It's going to change our lives quite a bit uh, for the better. I think. You know, when you consider all of that, you're going to need less. Uh, fossil fuel for one thing. Yeah. And I'm sure it's gonna to get to the point where it's driving automobiles. I really think that's gonna be I really think that's gonna happen. And I mean it's gonna happen in my lifetime. It's not something that's gonna happen fifty years from now. I mean, the technology's moving too fast, you know. Yeah, well the It'll hardest part quick. about
1: the solar panels has always been the efficiency of the square footage required and that's what they're getting a lot better at, definitely. The the photoreceptors so to speak are, are so dense now on the panels that, you know, they're hundreds of times more efficient than they were even 10 years ago, you know. So that, that's
0: the well, big piece, thing. piece I was reading, which was actually talking about uh, Toshiba as a company and what they work that they're doing along with many other companies, but they're the one that you would recognize the name of them more, more than you would these other companies. But the real focus... It's just like everything that starts it starts as a sort of individual sort of you know remote possibility of putting solar panels on your roof or at the uh, water hydrant or whatever it is right right what these people are going to do is just in the line of what you're saying they're going to produce a minute little thing that's the size of a grain of sand that will be able to absorb enough energy that in a something the size of a softball or a bowling ball they'd be able to produce incredible amount of energy over a long period of time and it's hard to imagine that you know for me to imagine that but the technology is already there it's just a question of them beginning to to install these, these units yeah. so where it looked like a lot of countries including Japan as we find out depend heavily on Nuclear power, uh, apparently we're not going to have to depend on that as much as we thought everybody was going to have to do. I mean, there are many parts of Europe and Asia that's over 50% of the power, including France, is is all nuclear. So this solar thing is kind of exciting to me. I mean, I kind of like when there's something like that, you know, coming up.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely, you know, all for alternative sources of energy, um, and I, I certainly – I mean, I, I never really felt all that badly about uh, nuclear power, where is where I differ from my hippie friends, if you will. Um, I, it doesn't really – you know, it's that kind of thing, uh, everything comes with a cost, that sort of thing, where, you're, you know uh, – there's been far fewer deaths from nuclear power plants than coal power plants, uh, you know. Even just one coal power plant and, and all the people that work there over the years that get lung cancer, whatever have you, even just comparing one to all the nuclear power plants that have ever existed, you're still... Coal is still worse, you know, as far as uh, its its effect on the environment and on people yeah. and things like that. And the energy it generates is, is a fraction... Um, and so it's interesting, I mean, so we're sort of on this world stage now where everybody's watching, like, how's Japan going to deal with that uh, reaction, you know, uh, the nuclear? Yeah. Uh, but then the other side of it, uh, if you know, out of tragedy comes solutions, is uh, there's a lot of, all over the world right now, there's a lot of agencies going around and checking their own power plants to go, hey, we should beef up, you know, the protection and everything else. They just shut two down in germany to get them reinforced and things and uh there's there was a there's one in new york that they uh has a one in ten thousand chance of uh danger every Mm -hmm. year they assess these things and apparently the one one in new york uh oh what's it called like indian crest or something like that um there's three of them by the same name, 1, 2, and 3, and I think it's the first one has a 1 in 10,000 chance, which they say is too high for them to... So they're, they're right now, like, getting on the ball, like, hey, you know, that reminds us. We should probably do something about that. So what will come out of this is a uh, more forward thinking about uh, structural damage to nuclear power plants in the event of earthquakes and tsunamis. So, you know... Sorry. There's no good end to that sentence as far as, you know, like, well, that's the good thing, I, I, I think, it's, you know what I'm saying, that's how, that's how tragedies work, is, is I think that...
0: I think the nuclear thing, is as clean as it seems, and it must be effective, there wouldn't be as many countries using it. I actually think that something's going to come up to replace it before it gets to be a bigger thing, I really do. I think the solar thing is is right there. The other thing is, the biggest invention that we don't have that we need And that's a good way of looking at things when you're investing, for instance, is you think about something you need that we don't have available. Yeah. Well, the biggest thing on earth that we need that we don't have available, in my opinion, is a way to drive your car with the same speed and frequency that we do now with the ease of refueling without using oil. Yeah. Now... I can picture that being a solar thing too. See, because I can tell you now, the battery and the electric plug-in thing—that that'll never be a widespread usage like we have right now on gasoline-driven cars. I mean, oh, it's absolutely. just no way. It's not convenient. It's very expensive. Yeah. It's just not the answer.
1: And it's I mean, also it doesn't. It's make not sense that they can't
0: do it, but it doesn't answer the the question. No, no, a you know, it yeah, doesn't give sure do you the same. Is- yeah. You have to give up too much for that to happen.
1: Well, it's also the thing is like, well, what do you I mean, it takes too long to charge and and people talk about like, oh, oh you know, there's electric charging stations at gas stations to be like, well, what do you you just stand in line for 45 minutes for one Well, call, and you can't you know, drive
0: but 60 miles. Yeah, yeah. Well, if that Yeah, know, what is that? That's one day driving around the metroplex. or driving around Los Angeles 60 miles is you know, that's nothing.
1: Well, the way that they it usually talk about it is, is, rural is area that city drives. miles and you don't, you know, they worked it out to such a thing where it's like city miles only take this long and this long and, and so you could effectively do your daily commute, come in and plug it in for, Too much trouble. for a, a, a large majority of metropolitan areas that actually would work. But I'm with you. Every time I read about electric cars, they're like, and it has a range between plugins of you know, whatever, 200-and-something miles or whatever, even when they talk about, you know, really uh, lofty goals, I haven't I haven't seen a single article yet about even a time frame for the first all-electric car that could get me from here to Phoenix without plugging in.
0: Here's his, so. his one of the really... They had a debate on NPR about this about a year ago. Here's one of the really weird things about the battery-operated thing and the electric car is... They give you all these estimates about how many miles it'll drive and between Phillips. The problem, one of the big problems is because it's not operated with something that we know for sure, like gasoline, you're going to get, your car is going to get 20 miles to the gallon yeah. and you got a little gauge. It'll tell you how much you got left and you won't run out of gas as long as you keep an eye on the gauge. With this other thing, with this electric and battery thing, the gauge may be wrong because they still don't have the battery situation or the electric charge of the battery at such a point where you know for sure that the little gauge that says you have a quarter of the amount of fuel left is actually going to be accurate. Yeah. Think about batteries that you use around the house. Yeah, yeah. I mean, their life is not measurable. <laughs> I mean, I don't care what you do. You can't measure it. So... You know, one guy wants to drive uh, speed off the stoplight, the other guy wants to go slow off the stoplight. That's two different types of use of energy. I mean, it's just, what I'm saying is that's not going to be the answer. Yeah, no, it's we definitely a stopgap
1: measure. I, I've been wondering about that for a while when people talk about electric cars, as I keep going, like, yeah. not not that I don't appreciate, you know, the uh, ingenuity and everything else, and, and I think that. You know, they're prototypes in the sense that if we are moving towards electric as opposed to fossil fuel for powering a car, then it will be good to have things like electric cars to sort of test on. But it's certainly, it's a stopgap measure for at best. And and I think, uh, yeah, I mean, what you were saying, it's like, you know, they, they do have batteries where you can, you know, push the two ends and it'll show you how much juice is left in the battery. But if you put that in a flashlight, turn the flashlight on, that's the most energy it's ever going to use. It's not going to suddenly... Exactly grow an extra bulb where i think what you're saying is like if i'm driving down the street and i'm using you know let's say five volts or something i just naming a number um i'm using x amount of volts when i turn on the ac <laughs> i'm using more volts if i exactly. say if i all of a sudden kick up the you know the speed of the car you're using more volts if i turn on the radio there's more and so on and so forth if i'm recharging my cell phone and the ac so it's like there's all those things that, that are going to affect the, uh, the voltage you're using. And, yeah, if they can get solar panels thin enough and cover a wide enough area for also the cost is the other problem is, you know, manufacturing costs, which always comes down as demand increases. Um, if they can get it to where you just cover the top, you know, hood of the car, that would be enough to power the car no matter where it goes. And it keeps enough reserve to where you could drive all night. Um. Then it wouldn't really, you know, you'll have more than enough energy to do whatever you needed to in the car. But then you wonder, what kind of cars will we will we all start driving SUVs again? And you know, Hummers because now it doesn't. Well, you know,
0: just imagine know. again with my bowling ball scenario with the solar energy. Imagine something like that in your car, and all you do is uh, you have some sort of a window or opening that stays open to let the bowling ball be charged by the sun and it's to me that seems very possible it doesn't seem like an improbable thing at all and i think that's going to be i think solar power in my lifetime which is not a whole lot of years yet is going to be the revolution of all things that we think of as great today you know all the technology stuff and the computers and in the phones and all those things. When they do this thing with the with the solar energy, it's going to be the biggest since I mean, it'll be enormous because it'll touch every single human being on the face of the planet. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. to me, that that's a great thing. Now, moving on to more hopeful things. I'm moving away. What I'm trying to do, what I wrote down here okay. on my little notepad b- between our calls here was... It's very easy to go through all the bad stuff, all the stupid stuff, the Charlie oh, yeah. Sheen, the Lindsey Lohan, right. the president. I felt like uh, that
1: was a positive subject that we just talked about.
0: But, you know. Well, we did. Okay. That's, what That's what I'm saying. We, okay. We're now moving to the positive subjects. Yeah. The next one I want to talk about is the bullet train. Okay. Now, this touches me more than it does you at this point. However, you happen to live in an area where the bullet train is – definitely a possibility very shortly we passed
1: uh, a we passed a law uh, a provision whatever you want to call it. i think it's a law whatever it we passed a measure to start yeah. construction on it to go from i believe san diego to san francisco uh yeah. and they say that when it's built uh, you'll be able to get from san diego to san francisco in i want to say like an hour and a half it's a very short period of time about as fast as a plane basically
0: um, well, the point of the point of the whole thing is, to me, for one thing, they have to do it in its in its beginnings and say its first quarter century. It has to be a, a, a an express type thing. In other words, I don't want any train, bullet train or otherwise, that if I want to go to Houston. The train has to stop in Lufkin and blah, 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 all the little towns between here and Houston. Right, right. there's in Texas, as it is somewhat in California, though California is a little denser than Texas population-wise, but Texas, we need to go to Austin, San Antonio, and Houston from Dallas. Right. Well, I want to get on a train and go to San Antonio. Don't stop. There's right, no stopping. Right. right. Now. If there's people that live in Bernie, Texas, which is between Austin and San Antonio, for instance, what they're going to have to do is go to Austin and catch a bus <laughs> to Bernie. No, they're going to have express buses, like a double deck, a nice one of them British-looking things with the double decks on. Right, right. Nice buses, you know, fixed-up buses, buses sure. that are comfortable. They're probably going to be more comfortable than airplanes no matter what they do. But... I could see that. Now, that's that's my next thing that's going to happen in my lifetime is the bullet trains. I mean, I I think about the area that I live in right now, and this is very applicable to California and certainly Los Angeles and San Francisco. Okay, I'm living here. There's 6 million people surrounding me in this North Texas area. Now, I'm at a certain age where I would like to be able to get on some sort of transportation that would take me to downtown Fort Worth for business, downtown Dallas for business, to the ballparks, including the new Cowboys Stadium where they played the Super Bowl, and the Rangers Stadium where they played the baseball, which is right, you know, two blocks away. Six Flags over Texas, the universities that are all over, there's 14 of them in the Metroplex. You need to be able to get to these places without getting in your car. And you need to be able to do it comfortably and quickly. Yeah, so that's like another thing. It's the transportation situation. Is got to be much more. I noticed the Obama administration did pull out a big pile of billions of dollars to give to states to start these programs. Unfortunately, some states want to use the money for something else. Mm. So these got they got to be kind of there's kind of a thing going on with that. Like Florida, for instance. Didn't return the money, but they didn't start studying bullet <laughs> trains either. So you gotta got to watch out because these states will take that money. Can and, we kick Florida <laughs> off yet? Can we no, just, I love Florida. <laughs>
1: can we just, I mean, look, you're right there. You just get out a pickaxe and start just axing away. Eventually it'll crack it start off. start jizzling
0: flow. somewhere around Jacksonville. That's where it's still parallel. And then you could cut across. You'd cut the whole boot out that yeah,
1: way. you Cut the boot, send it to Cuba. I mean, it's all the same, really.
0: Yep, the same thing with California. Everybody wants the San Andreas Fault to put the, you know, the whole state fall. Not the whole state, but the whole west side of the state is going to fall in the ocean. You
1: know. I do think There's, that California they, should be governed separately, north to south. I think we're way too large to be governed singularly.
0: You know, that's true in all the big states. I mean, Texas is just the same way. They, they, you know, they're sitting there in Austin right in the middle of the state basically and they're trying to pass bills to take care of this and you know Irving Texas which is in the metroplex and then and, and this in Galveston which is you know 250 miles away and it just doesn't fit you can't you know it's a different set of circumstances <laughs> yeah yeah
1: well i mean so, i know that i mean it's Texas the same
0: thing California and Texas are going to have a lot of the same sort of distance problems because it's a whole different group of people that are attracted to San Francisco versus Southern California. You know, it's a different mindset that goes on. Absolutely. It's the same thing with Houston. Like they say, the way you can tell what town you're in, whether you're in Houston or Dallas is when you get in the elevator, you look at the shoes, and the tassel loafers will be the guys from Dallas, and the guys with the boots on will be from Houston. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I've lived in both of those cities. You were born in the suburb of one of them, and uh, I like both of them myself. I, I could live in Houston just as easily. The weather's not as
1: good as here. And you it's just out. wear regular loafers or whatever, right? Nothing.
0: I wear tassel loafers. Oh, and you, you got tassel loafers, all right toe black business shoes, and uh, i got a bunch of different shoes nowadays.
1: Yeah. I got but, a, I got i uh, I'm trying to get, like, I, I like I the shoes tassel. that don't have
0: the. Uh, tassels are not a night shoe. Uh, to me, that's a day oh, shoe. Hold on, I'll be, uh, let me grab my. Let's
1: see, yeah, see, I like this, um, I guess that's just a loafer kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that's a, a good-looking thing. Yeah,
1: it's, I like I like not having shoelaces. I like slipping my feet into them. But the yep. thing I don't like is it's got this stitch right down the front that I hate. Yep. But these are incredibly comfortable, and I'm looking for one. See
0: the that's, stitch down the front like that—that's yeah. very popular right now. Golf shoes, for instance, now all have the stitch down the middle front.
1: I don't like it. I mean, well, I, I it's mean, not it's not a track but yeah yeah so I'm, I'm looking for something like shinier and better but the thing is I, I i'm having this weird i can't seem to get the right mix these are really really comfortable and i can wear them all day and my feet don't hurt my ankles don't you know doesn't kick into the back of my heel or nothing i can wear them all day i'm comfortable but they're not very stylish they don't go very well with a with a suit and i wear a suit all day uh, but all the ones that go well with a suit are really uncomfortable, and I, I keep wanting to like ask my bosses. I'm like, "What do you buy?" But I have a feeling they probably wear them just at work, and then go home and wear something like sneakers, which I I just like. I mean, I have sneakers and stuff, but I don't really like wearing them. I like being able to pick a shoe and go. This is this is what I'm wearing, you know.
0: Uh, well, it's just good that we're talking about this because we're very similar with that with that dilemma. My additional dilemma is the size of my feet. I yeah. wear a size 14, <laughs> which five, limits, somewhat, limits somewhat the choices I have. Yeah. But I like Johnson & Murphy shoes. Johnson & Murphy. I'll write that down. Yes. Uh, they have the most comfortable shoes. Now, I'm, you know, again, you got to realize the size of my shoes. So that's one of the reasons that I've probably pick Johnson & Murphy's. Maybe they only make big shoes that good. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, they're pretty famous. I mean, they even have their own stores now in the malls, but they used to be just at, you know, like Nordstrom's or somewhere. But um, no, I've been wearing their dress shoes for quite some time. Sneakers, I wear Asics. Okay. The yeah, most I, don't, com-
1: I don't really wear sneakers. Now, sneakers,
0: I, just- I wear a 15 in oh, sneakers. Oh, wow. wow. Sneakers are an extra size. Because they're made in India somewhere, you know. Mm. Yeah, where all the feet are smaller, so they don't—they start losing <laughs> track rough. once they but get up there. In the twelve and thirteen, they're like, "We forgot." Odd. In a sneaker, for some reason.
1: Yeah, my biggest problem is the padding, uh, right—you know, at the back of the heel. You know what I mean? I—I I think that's the heel I'm thinking of. You know, it's—it's it's the back of the foot, like you know, what I mean, on the opposite it, side of the mean, shin. It rubs. Yeah, but not—not not these shoes because they got padding, and I just can't find yeah. a good, you know. Good business Well, shoes. I
0: think shoes are a very important thing. you got to find a brand that you, that you you know, Allen Edmonds makes good shoes. Mm. But I, I just like the Johnson & Murphy. They make very casual shoes and very dress shoes. I mean, they, they make all kinds of different shoes. Hmm. You could check out one of the malls. They'll probably have a Johnson & Murphy store in there. Must be a while. I they, don't
1: think I've ever seen it. I never heard that name. I don't think I've ever seen one of their stores. I don't know.
0: It's kind of a, you know, there was a time when it was much more of a professional man's type shoe. You know, all the stockbrokes mm-hmm. wear Johnson and Murphy's, you know, that kind of thing. But now that they've gotten more popular and I've seen them with their own stores in the malls, which is kind of weird. Uh, you know, it's it's easier to get their shoes and try them on and go through that process, you know. But the quality hasn't suffered, despite their popularity. Oh, no, the quality of their shoes, you can't hardly wear them out, frankly. You know, you certainly have to change the soles on them. Hmm. You can wear out the soles. But, I mean, they uh, they never get really deteriorated. I mean, you can wear them. In fact, that's one of the keys to having, like, four to six pairs of shoes is They'll last, you know, you'll never buy shoes again for years if you have right, four right. Six pair, And you just rotate them. I mean, you're just not wearing them out enough.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: but, I am getting uh, to that,
1: that point in my adult life where I'm realizing, you know, when I'm younger, it was like, "Well, I'll buy the cheap crap because I can afford it right now. And if it breaks, I'm not out that much money. But I'm at that point in my life, and I think it just comes with age, where I'm, I'm realizing, no, it's best to, to splurge the three, four times more. Because it's a better build, it's not likely to break. You're also psychologically, you'll take better care of them, so it will last longer. You know things like yeah. that. It really is worth it for the extra, you know, Absolutely. save off a week or two.
0: I mean, you can buy Dexter shoes for sixty nine, seventy nine dollars, but you know the Johnson Burbs are going to cost you a hundred and a half and up. Right, right. But there's no comparison: the comfort, the how long they last, what they look like there's just no comparison so that that's true and that's true in everything from coffee makers to uh you know the kind of uh crock pot you own you know that type of stuff yeah yeah that's like cookware a... we like to get very nice cookware
1: i need to get um i mean i need to buy some better um some actual uh, knives individually instead of the knife block set i think i'll keep the steak knives i got some uh Hankel's uh, 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 steak knives, but they're uh, they're the they're the cheap Hankels. So all the actual big knives, the chef knife, the uh, what's that Asian? The frozen knife? edge knife. There's a there's an Asian knife I love so much, santoku knife. Yeah, oh, the santoku the, knife. They're chafe not all those knives. The, are That
0: one they do on terrible. television. The Japanese. The no, hindi. no, you're thinking of the ginsu. No, the ginsu. Yeah, yeah. No.
1: santoku the, knives are. Um, it's it's like a, they're a slightly shorter chef knife, uh, but they're very broad, like tall wise, and they kind of do like, this almost. Uh,
0: I like I don't know that tall knife, good for chopping like lettuce and stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a, I mean a, a good santoku knife. I, I found is like saves my hide as far as in the kitchen. I just need the one knife, but I'll probably keep the steak knives I got from Henkels, because they're they're good steak knives. But the rest of the knives that I can go with. Um, you need no a go to go to
0: Williams Sonoma.
1: Yeah. Well, I was gonna get. I think the I mean, the knives I have on my Amazon wish list, um, and I keep every every couple of weeks, I'll kind of look and go, maybe. Nah, not today. Are these uh, shun knives? They're uh, Japanese shun, and uh, very very high quality, and uh, they're santoku knife. Like their seven inch one, I think is. Like 150, 180 bucks.
0: Now you have to wonder why would Japanese knives be better than German knives or Norwegian knives? I mean.
1: <laughs> well, in the case of like a Wusthof, uh, which are really good, um, I think it's just a matter of preference, but I personally like a santoku knife a lot, and obviously, you know that's a Japanese style. I have no
0: idea what that is. I have no idea. If you idea. saw
1: it, you'd, you'd go, "Oh, I've seen those." They're just uh, they're comfortable for me. They're nice. They they they're versatile. Um, I don't mind Vostoff at all, um, but Hankles, for instance, and to some degree Vostoff, but Vostoff did the smart thing. Hankels did a thing where they were like, "You know what? Let's also make a cheap version." And so they ended up making, like, several grades of knives. So a Hankles isn't a Hankles anymore that it used to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like there's so many grades where you go, like, well, do, am I buying the premium or am I being mid-grade? You don't know. Uh, Vostov is smart enough to have a different name for each of those. They're not, they're not the same label. They have the same logo, but they have a different name. I, I think Trident is their lowest quality one, but it's still made by Vostov. It's just cheaper. So it's that's where I would go with Shun because they only make the, the one pretty yeah. solid kind. And so it's just a safer bet when you don't, you know, if you if you just got to get one knife and you don't do all that research, you know you're going to get a good knife out of, you know, Shun.
0: Ah, okay. Stuff. Okay, now let, <laughs> let, let's continue a little bit yeah. talking about future things. Ah, yes. My favorite all right, now subject. here's, here, let me throw these out. You can tell me whether you want to talk about them. High-tech health. Mm-hmm. Another article from the Wall Street Journal. And by the way, I got to tell you, they are the number one newspaper now. They outsell every other newspaper. But it's a miracle to me how every morning I can go out to my front park, uh, garage driveway and pick up the Wall Street Journal with all the stuff that's in there. It's just... It's like a miracle to me. I mean, it's like, God, I can't believe they put all this stuff out every day. Anyway, I'm constantly quoting from the articles they have in there. Yeah. High-tech health has to do with implanting in one's body, in some cases even in your bloodstream, high-tech materials that are going to make you live longer and healthier and stronger. Mm-hmm. Now, they're right now, obviously, in a very short, I mean, a very small beginning stage of this, they are are using brain implants and heart implants and kidney implants and all that that have these transistor-type, computer-chip-type things in them, but eventually what we're going to have is regulators in our body that's going to regulate blood flow and all these things so that the things that make us age the quickest and make us die the soonest are going to be eliminated or, or at least in some way prolonged. Uh, the point this guy is making that was interviewed for this article was that there's certain things that he believes that we'll be able to do to the body using high-tech materials... I use the term high tech. That's not what he was using. Um, Will be things that last, you know, like eternally. (laughs) They don't wear out. And so they'll keep your blood at a certain level that needs to flow at a certain speed or whatever it is, or a certain density or a certain capacity. Uh, And it, it changes your whole aging process. So, in other words, he's saying that he's calling it eternal life. Is what he calls his program? Of course, <laughs> but, <laughs> you but you go uh, I don't know whether that. That, that might be a little bit of a reach. But I could envision what he's talking about as you read all this, uh, this thing. You could envision something like that. Uh, really, without a question, prolonging life. I mean, there's no question about it. Yeah, you, you, yeah. you could if you could regulate. The different organs and blood flow in your body to some extent, uh, to where you could still do the same things you do when you're healthy and, and younger, mm-hmm. you would definitely live longer. There's no question about it. So I'm thinking, okay, here we're going to be in the future. We're going to have the solar everything, your house, your car, everything is solar. You're going to have the bullet trains flying you around to wherever you want to go without having to get on an airplane. And now we're going to have the health thing where you're going to be 150 years old, just like you are when you're 45. So those are pretty pretty good things. So let's move to, the, to my final two in the future things. Well,
1: I did want to say, uh, Go my, ahead. I, I feel like, to me, the the future of transportation, I don't think lies necessarily in bullet trains. To me, that's also a stopgap measure. And I'm not, I was kind of like, when when I I, I did vote for the bullet, building a bullet train here, and then they passed it, and were like, "Okay, we'll start construction in 2032." I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Uh, you know, like they're not <laughs> starting construction for quite some time. I was like, "I hope we're flying in cars by then, man. I don't, I don't care about a bullet train in 20 years, or you know, start it today and have it done in five years, or you know, whatever." Um, but see, I, I was trying like...
0: to think of things. I was trying <laughs> to think of things that would fall within my lifetime. Well, the, I don't this have is to one that, that might. The future is going to be. What was that movie with? Uh, what was that movie with? Uh, uh, what's that guy's name? Man, where he's a taxi driver and the, all the vehicles are Fifth up element, in the air. Bruce Willis. Yeah, yeah. Fifth Element. See, I, 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 I don't have any doubt that's going to happen. I mean, I. It's just like airplanes. When you come into a major airport, I think the the one that's the scariest is O'Hare in Chicago. You come in. And you just can't believe the number of airplanes that are all around you without colliding. Of course, yeah, the seaplanes yeah. all fly at a different altitude. That's how they keep them from colliding. Yeah, yeah. And they, they funnel them. You know, the ones at the top of the funnel are slowly funneling down to to, to land. Yeah. It's kind of interesting the way they do it when you guys can see it. So, um I I could picture, just what you're talking about, I could picture flying flying automobile type thing. No, actually,
1: that's not where I think necessarily. What I'm saying as far as personal transportation, I think that, I mean, we already have cars today that are um, proximity-aware, that that know what's in front of them and what's behind them. Um, Volvo's made great strides, and and I, I saw a thing on Volvo recently where the guy was like, I'm hoping in 20 years will mark the end of a death in a Volvo vehicle. And I'm like, that was his, that's his thing. He's like, I, I, I hope love that that basically vehicle. in, Hopefully. in his lifetime, he hopes that he gets to a point where he has seen the last person dying inside of a Volvo. And I, I feel like if anybody's going to do it, it'd be them because they're just obsessive about it. But, um... One of the things is there, a lot of cars, uh, you know, as things start with luxury, they move down to the domestic, is that proximity awareness where you, if you're driving along a road at 60 miles an hour, the headlights turn around a corner before you get to it using GPS, if something darts in front of the car, it'll automatically slow down, things like this, to where it's not a stretch that we could all have cars that were proximity-aware and then adjusting their speed in real time so that there was never a slowdown. There was no traffic jams, nobody slamming on their brakes, nothing. And eventually the car is entirely automated. And then that gets to the thing where it's like, well, why do you need a four-door sedan at that point if it's driving itself and they're affordable, let's say I call them pods. I envision a sort of a pod that's like a two-seater Maybe if you're fancy, you get a four-seater, but it it wouldn't need a a trunk necessarily because you could just keep it all in the middle of the car because now you don't need you know regular car seats. You don't need gear shifters. You don't need any of that stuff. You just get a stereo and four seats pointed into each other. You've got this pod that's proximity-aware, GPS-aware. You type in an address, boom, and it takes you there, and everybody's going 80, 90 miles an hour the whole way because they're all proximity-aware. So everybody's in perfect sync. You get on and off the freeway. I feel like that would that's a a reality I could see happening without much trouble. It wouldn't yeah, require me too. repaving the roads, it wouldn't require I mean I could see it actually
0: range. having a sort of a a, a magnet type thing where they, they they can't even collide. Right. You know, where yeah, they yeah. they just kind of push off from each other if they get too close, kind of thing yeah I could see yeah that. I, I think that's a wonderful uh that's a wonderful thought because uh, see all this stuff we're talking about although it's not presently in everyday use, I think all of this stuff's gonna happen i mean I'm very confident that it that's gonna happen the, the automobile with a driver it's just like we make fun of people that used to dial phones with their fingers in the hole and go around the yeah, yeah, dial, yeah. which yeah. I remember that myself vividly. It's going to be the same fun that they make out of Do you realize people used to have a wheel on the car and they would have to turn it back and forth and they'd have to push the brake with their foot and then they'd have to move their foot over to push the next pedal if they wanted to go further? I mean, it was antiquated and beat up stuff. You know, you could hear the kids (laughs) of the time talking about you're not going to believe it. They used to have a blinker thing. You'd push the thing down, and a little blinker would blink if you were turning. <laughs> well, I feel
1: like I'm part of the last generation that learned a stick shift out of necessity. You know, yeah, I mean, that's right. Every car I've ever owned until the one that I'm driving now, this is the first car I've ever driven on a regular basis in my life that is not a stick shift. So really? I had to, yeah, because my first car was a Volkswagen bus. It, oh there you know, go uh chuck and mom kind of pitched in and they got me uh it was a beat-up old thing and they were like here's the manual how to fix it you know <laughs> and uh, <laughs> i wanted to go out and hang out with my friends and they were like well here's the keys and i got in and I, i'd driven a stick shift two three times before my life on on long colorado road trips where nobody was running yeah. for hundreds of miles and i was i needed to get a mile and a half down the road to my friend's house and it took me probably 20 minutes and i was <laughs> and uh, and i got well, you know that be, real quick you know people
0: that want to drive stick shifts in the future will be like people that have biplanes that they want to fly you know up in the air they like it's a hobby you know they have the club
1: yeah the yeah.
0: biplane club you know and they're going to fly on these old antiquated airplanes that'll be the same thing with the stick shift Volkswagen buses, you know.
1: I do wonder about that, though, because it... it
0: made... You know that, excuse me, but let me tell you okay. something, about it. the Volkswagen bus <laughs> had the <laughs> same engine as the Bug. Huh. The exact same engine, not bigger or anything, the same engine they had to drive that bus. That's why the buses didn't last as long as the Beetles. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's the same. I mean, you know, the the engine that they made for the Volkswagen... Was a Nazi invention because uh, um, Rommel told Hitler that he needed vehicles that could drive in the desert where there was no water. Mm. He wanted air-cooled engines, so that was how they invented the air-cooled engine for the Volkswagen. Yeah. The Nazi thing. Yeah. Yeah. They also I don't see the Porsche driving Volkswagens. I'll never drive a Porsche. <laughs>
1: Although I do like Volkswagen, but I I don't know. I've always just hated Porsches. I don't know. Something about them has always felt, I I want to say pretentious. It's always felt like somebody was like, look, I've got a sports car. And then you're like, yeah, of course you do. You know, it's... like
0: I had a Saab for about two years, and that was the best car I've ever owned. That car was unbelievable. I mean, it was so comfortable. It had that fuel injection thing. I mean, it had like, it was like driving in a jet and the yeah. thing that was neat was the ignition was between you, you know, and the, the console where the, where the oh, shift Oh, I see it. what you're saying. Yeah, That's yeah. Where the, it, went. it was like you were in an airplane, you know. You yeah. stuck the boom. Nice. Man, that was a great car. I told the heck out of it on a road oh, one day.
1: Well, I liked, but, my, you know, I liked my last Nissan that I, I never saw my keys. You know, I could—I pushed a button on the car door, and it, it opened.
0: I'm sure that's going to be the thing. Everybody's going to have those now. I bet you. I noticed with most of the new cars now are push button ignition. Yeah. But I That, I was, that, that felt I feel, so cool feel, to me. Feel, they replaced a whole in, line,
1: all the infinity, all the Nissan's. Not driving cars?
0: No What's way. It? Car will drive us.
1: Oh yeah. Well, that's what I wonder though, is because you know, I hate to—I know that car enthusiasts would be very upset by that and and uh, there is something very cool about hopping into a stick shift car with a good horsepower and hitting a desert road you know that's a that's a feeling that just I, I if you have you know it's like for people who've never done that I'm like I'm, I weep for you but um, and I don't know where that will go Look, in, in the world Arizona of pods
0: hmm? Arizona is a good state to do that on yeah that's you how go I know it back, is up like up towards Snowflake, up above the Superstition Mountains, up that way? Oh, yeah, yeah. they got some highways up there that are just so desolate. You just don't want to break down, because I don't think anybody will find you for a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've always, I've had this dream I, for... I got buzzed by a, um, uh, what do they call that spy plane? The uh, black, uh, mm. that black uh, jet, black uh, what do they call it?
1: Stealth bomber.
0: The stealth. Uh... Oh, yeah. Okay. A stealth bomber buzzed me. Uh, to this day, I believe that's what he did. I was on a highway that goes north uh, toward Flagstaff, but not the freeway. It was a. It was way east of Phoenix, up in the mountains. And this highway gets up on a plateau, kind of mesa thing, and it just it's just a two lane road goes all the way to I forty. And I found it on a map. So I'm on that highway, and it's about 7 o'clock in the morning, cold as can be, snow all over the place. And I'm blazing down the highway, and I'm driving, and I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute. I've been driving a half hour. I have not seen a car except me. Wow. And uh, all of a sudden, the car is shaking like. It's like uh, something's wrong with the engine in this huge out of space looking thing seemed like it was flying at about 10 feet above my car when it passed me. And it was one of those stealth bombers. And he had just buzzed me. I guarantee you that's what he did. He was flying around out there, test flying in open air. He said, watch this guy. We're going to wake him up. <laughs> and, and the thing about it is, you know, they move so fast that you don't hear them until after they're gone. Yeah, yeah. I mean he came over me very quietly he did make my car shake but as soon as he got past my car boom, you heard that jesus thing. i mean it just i was like golly what am i doing out here and i was thinking maybe that was a ufo but it wasn't <laughs> power
1: is amazing. I mean, for for all I mean, I I don't know that much about the things, but for all I know, I mean, the the shaking of the car could have very well been the the shockwave from you know if they're going Mach anything, which those yeah. two I think Mach three, right? Mach three or Mach four, and if they're so going Mach di- one, it, Mach two, I
0: would he disappeared in two seconds after he oh, passed Mach. <laughs> like he was moving, man. I'm and sure I was at kidding. about I was at about eight thousand feet above sea level where I was driving. So I was yeah, already yeah. pretty high up. That's true. Then I guess he wouldn't have to dip that far then, yeah. No, I mean he was and there was no reason for him to be flying that low, so I'm just thinking he was having fun with me, you know, there was nothing <laughs> else around, there's no cars, no shopping centers or buildings or anything. He just decided he was in a me, man. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget that, I'll tell you that. He he left with an Everlasting memory. Well,
1: that's probably okay. The move all right. See so what else you got on the uh, future list here.
0: Okay. My next thing is this came from Bloomberg News Magazine. Okay. The idea of it. What they're saying is, and we all realize that because of the tremendous communication networks that are all over the world now, that. We are becoming like a global village. I mean, there's much more interaction between countries besides just normal import-export. Uh, it's easier to have this kind of communication. Yeah. And one of the pluses of that in the future is going to be less conflicts, Yeah, yeah, which equal less war. And this guy is saying that just that facet from an economic standpoint is going to be a a boom to the business communities all over the world and people's lifestyles are going to continue to rise in places like Brazil, for instance, uh, which is almost the size of the United States, Uh, India, of course. The obvious ones are India and China, but you got to throw Brazil in there as well. Now, those countries have so many people in them that they, they just going to require an enormous amount of goods. Yeah. And our manufacturing, which has kind of fallen by the wayside is going to have a comeback because of that. It's just going to be a necessity to make a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Going to be able to start making stuff again.
1: I wish As we would. would.
0: I really wish. You know,
1: it's it's. I think I've mentioned this before. I watch. Uh, there's this great show on the History Channel called American Pickers. Uh, between American Pickers and another one called uh, Pawn Stars, and uh, yeah. both of them are very similar in the way that you know it's it's old stuff basically. In Pawn Stars, is people bringing in old stuff to sell, and American Pickers, it's these two guys going to, you know private junkyards more or less people who live in a shack but they have you know this backyard filled with old motorbike parts or whatever and they love anything americana the the american picker guys are all about americana Uh, stuff anything uh, american uh, made stuff that's uh, rusted and old they're like this this old bike wheel we can get 50 bucks i'll give you five bucks for it you know and they'll find a buyer that day and stuff um and it's fascinating to watch that and see the things that you know, especially in Pawn Stars, there's the they have the what they call the old man. He's this very he's got to be close off to his 80s. Um, he spent 20 some odd years in the Navy. You know, just a hardened old man. You know, and when people bring in stuff, even like a kid's toy from the 20s, American made, he goes, "I used to play with this kind of stuff. This was this was a ball right here. We didn't need no Nintendos. We had this, and it's." <laughs> It's fascinating to see it still holding up, still holding together. You know, in a lot of cases, people don't have to do that much restoration to them. And you just go like, there was a quality and a craftsmanship there that you just don't necessarily see so much anymore. And I think that, you know, it's it's a two-way street. On the one hand, as Adam Carolla likes to say, there's never been a better time to be poor. (laughs) Because it's so... You know, I mean, you can get a 50-some-odd-inch TV for 1200 bucks or less, you know, depending on whatever. A flat screen yeah. hanging on your wall, the kind of thing that even six years ago you would have had to be well above, you know.
0: Oh, by next Christmas, they'll be $499, i am telling you.
1: Uh, I mean, if you get a 720p set, you can get them for about that now. But if you get a full HD, still around eight 800 bucks and up. But, yeah. My next Christmas, you know, one I'm the, sure.
0: One of the early signs of your uh, uh, modern way of looking things came when you were about three years old. And Dad and Margie were visiting. And Dad had brought with him some old toys that I had when I was that age. One of them was a metal airplane model. It was an actual airplane, but it was made of steel. I remember that. <laughs> and... We gave it to you to play with, you know, and there's no way you can break it or anything. It's metal, real heavy. Yeah. And you buzzing around with it a few minutes, a little while later, you go up to your mama, you know, and you go, mama, how do I turn this on? <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Uh, you wanted it to start flying, man. These friends, uh, you man. had to turn that thing on, man. That was funny. I feel like I hung on that, to that, that for a That airplane a is still around. It's at Tommy's house. Oh, okay, there we go.
1: I remember seeing it for quite a while. Yeah, that's, that's, again, that's one of those things where it's like, you know, I went to, uh, the last time I went to Phoenix. Oh, it's my, probably worth $200, this thing. It's real heavy. Yeah, I don't doubt that. And it's probably in much the, minus some scuffs, I'm sure it's in much the same condition. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> when I was at Phoenix, I was at, uh, you know, I was over at Meredith's house, my sister Meredith's house, and, uh, you know, they had this, like, wicker basket in the corner where they kind of throw, you know, it's sort of the things kids left around. We'll put in the bin real quick until they get sorted out. I found two iPods in there, you know, and then I go to my, well, another friend of mine's house and there's like two or three old iPods just, you know, like chilling in a desk drawer, just scuffed up in the screen and everything. And I'm like, I remember that went, I mean, not even that long ago, you know, two years ago, that was all the hot, hot stuff. And it's like, now it's this junky little, yeah keeping it in a drawer, you know I like I, yeah. it it's whereas back in those days, I, technology was slower, life was slower, but things were made to last out of necessity. Now, I feel like people don't even want it to last, you know it's it's because then you won't buy a new one or something like that. and I don't know, I would like to see more American manufacturing would like to see higher quality stuff made, but they're like I said two way street on the other hand. I do like the fact that I can buy stuff that you know In, in when I was a kid we, our whole family couldn't afford I can buy you know at the yeah. store you know I can go to the grocery store and they have TVs on sale there you know it's like that's really cool to me um, so it's a weird you know back and forth on things and I think that yeah we are becoming a global economy and I like the idea of Uh, everybody getting closer. And I think that, you know, a hundred years from now, we'll have a, I don't know about a hundred years, maybe 200 years, something like that. Um, There, there will be one
0: language, you know what I mean? It'll be this weird amalgamation. Oh, I don't think it's going to take that long. I don't think anything is going to take that long anymore. I mean, the speed by which we change now is just unbelievable. And the thing is, when you talk about technology stuff, from my view, from a guy my age's view. Sure. I mean, I I look at stuff that I use regularly and I'm not looking for the newest thing like that, but like my phone is probably, you know, two generations behind even my golf clubs. I mean, I was thinking about playing a tournament last weekend and I was thinking of, you know, I was looking at the other guys all younger than me playing and I'm, I'm looking at their new shiny clubs and, with their high-tech fibers and platinum this and, you know, space-age jet pilot kind of materials (laughs) and all that stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, this driver I'm holding is about four generations. You know, it's like a 2004 model, which to me is fairly new. Definitely. But being they come out with, like, two new models a year, (laughs) I mean, it's way back behind, you know, it's like... It's made of materials that they don't even use anymore, probably. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's but, like yeah. you know, I got that baseball glove of yours. That thing would hold up in the World Series if you needed it to.
0: Absolutely, and that glove love. right there is a forever thing. They're not going to do anything with. They're not going to make a glove better. Than that.
1: And that's what I'm saying. The, that that's glove. The, that glove is worth more. I mean, I, I imagine back then that glove comparable in price to a glove today. Or was it, Well, do think it was I would games?
0: say that glove, if you went to, a, like like the Texas Rangers have spring training in Surprise, Arizona, uh-huh. right there in the Phoenix area. If you went out to the spring training with that glove and let the pros guys out there look at that glove, you'd probably get 500 bucks for that glove. I wouldn't ever sell from it. From right, wanting a major yeah. league play. Was, they love having, like, an old glove, you know, uh-huh. that's in good condition. they always looking for that guy
1: well, I, I what I'm saying is, yeah, that, that, back that, when that was released, whatever year that was, when you were a kid, I guess, yeah?
0: That, that I would have been in my 20s. Okay. Because so, this salary the
1: wise, was based on how the economy was back then, you know, based on inflation and whatever have you, the price of the glove back then versus, I don't know what a glove costs these days, 10 bucks, 15 bucks, I don't know. Well, do you figure that the price was about equal, or was it way more expensive back then as well?
0: Well, that one was, because that was the top-of-the-line glove right there. I mean, I don't remember what it cost, but I'm going to say it was probably 80 bucks, something like that. Today dollars. $80, I would say. Yeah. Some, 79 seventy I'm thinking, something like that. Probably, but I mean, that's, that's
1: 40, today dollars or back-then dollars? Back-then dollars. Wow. That's 40 years ago now. So that would have been, that's like a 200 $300 glove today. Hmm?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you if you went out to buy a glove that a major league of plays with, you you're going to spend a couple of 300 bucks. Oh yeah. Okay. okay.
1: Well then, that works. I was I guess I was just thinking to myself, I wonder if that was the norm. You know, Granted it's a very high quality glove, but you know, mass produce everything else, it it just makes you wonder was it, you know, price wise well, but i guess still, that still was you know, premium still, back then so that's good. If
0: you went to, if you went to Walmart or to one of these sporting goods stores to buy a glove you would you know you could buy a glove for 12 bucks.
1: Yeah, sure, sure.
0: Uh but uh if you went to like a team supply house place that you know where you can order a glove to fit you and all that stuff that's the kind of glove that would be that, that's okay. a that's a real pro line glove. And um, yeah, I, I just think it, it looks—it looks to me like—I mean, I'm agreeing with this guy with the article about the, the tremendous rise in population that's got enough money to spend on goods. Yeah, is going to cause the world economies to just go crazy. I mean, yeah. what do you got of me? A billion and a half people in China, and 20% of them are driving in automobiles. I mean, imagine that market.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know they're just now blowing up, yeah. They're just oh. now getting cars. It's like, what?
0: Oh, it's weird geez. Like all those about, cars you know. had have to go. And, uh, you know, India is the same way, the same exact thing. I mean, it's just uh, it's incredible. And, and, and just about everything is going to be like that. So I think you're going to see it makes sense that you're going to see us be more participatory in international trade with our own manufactured goods. Yeah. Now we still do we still manufacture a lot of like appliances for instance. Yeah, wash it yeah. power, refrigerator, wash machines, all that stuff. We still manufacture a lot of equipment, heavy equipment stuff, like caterpillar, tractors and that kind of stuff. We call it we obviously still manufacture automobiles. But I think one of the telling things about us being able to manufacture is the fact that so many foreign automobile manufacturers now make cars here. Mm. I mean, you buy a if you buy a Nissan, you're probably buying an American-made car because they have four plants in the United States that are turning out cars. Mm. So, you know, and they're not the only one. Toyota's making them here. I mean, it's just. Uh, <clears throat> So if that can happen with automobiles, I think it can happen with other things. So I, I, that's just what I'm, I'm just, I'm just, uh, very optimistic. I wish I was your age, you know, to be able to think that I'm going to live through all this stuff, but I do think a lot of this is going to come about very soon. I mean, it's, you know, it's not going to be 50 years. It's going to be more like 10 years, 12 years.
1: Well, I'd like to see, you know, uh, it's that kind of thing where you look back on, you know, American history and not even ancient American history, but even, you know, in the last hundred years and, you know, the the amount of uh, science and agriculture, all these different things, we were a world leader in every possible way that you could be for a very long while. And then it seems like we've lost a lot of that. And that's where I say, like, something needs to change where we where we get that back, where it's like... And I, I don't know, there's probably a thousand things that need to change to get that, that motor running again, and that old rusty motor that needs some oil. Um, and I, I, you know, I I'm optimistic that, I about think, it. But.
0: I think demand for product is what's going to do it. Demand does it every time. Yeah, I that's mean, fine. Yeah. You, start getting, you start getting people buying goods from your country, and pretty soon you're going to need to have a big plant somewhere to make the goods. And that's kind of what, that's kind of what's happening. I think we're going to have people inventing things here in the United States, new ways to make goods of different kinds. I think clothing would be one place where we could, we could really start up again a textile business that has just totally collapsed in the United States. I mean, everything is made in Mexico and places like that for textile manufacturing, certainly in Asia. But, because of the fact that brand names mean so much in a global setting, I mean, we still manufacture Levi's blue jeans. In fact, we still kind of control the blue jean business worldwide. And blue jeans are very popular worldwide. Yeah, yeah, I do know that. I do so know that. I could see us. I can see us of. doing a blue jean type thing with other clothing. You know, right, right. would Be nice. Or it, or it, you know, with the marketing kicking in to say, you know, this is what we're doing in America, and this is cool, and the rock and roll singers, and the not the rock and roll, the hip-hop, whatever they call them, sure. you know, are wearing these clothes, and blah, blah, blah. So, I can see us getting back into March just because of the amount of material that's going to be needed. I mean, it's just, it's we can't even fathom the numbers. This guy in his article kind of threw some numbers out there, and they just blow your mind when you think of the populations of these other countries that are that are just going to explode onto the scene. And they're doing it right now. But, I mean, it's going to get much more, much, much more of it's going to happen.
1: See, that's why I say that, you know, you...
0: End rope
1: here. What's that? I'm about
0: at the end of the rope for me. Oh, okay. I was going to
1: say, uh, I... I think that, uh, as I was saying in a previous episode, is that that as people live longer, you'll see less uh, less kids being, you know, there's a a lower population growth. And so, ideally, and I don't know if this will work out, but in my head, optimistically, I feel like as we... Speed up the pace of everything to match the demands of a giant population that has never been larger on this planet as far as humans go. As we speed all that up and then find a way to keep those humans alive and the population reaches a low growth, we'll reach a nice equilibrium. But we're at that, everything's so on the edge right now where it could, you yeah. be because everything blew up, people got made way faster, everything and technology booming, and no time to keep up with stuff, but it's like it reaches an equilibrium, and, and a, a good example of that is like the computer industry. Well, back in you know early 2000s, if you bought a computer two years later, you needed a new computer, where today you can buy a computer in five years is not that weird. It's not – you don't necessarily need to replace it within five years. Like I, this Thank laptop goodness. here is – uh 3 something years old and uh the computer to my right here is going on it's 6th year it now needs replacing but it's 6 years and it's still running you know that would be unheard of in 2002 2003 but yeah. now it's like it's it's reached a point where it's like well we're not going to ha- we don't need to push it we're not in this big race to push everything so far in personal computing now we're on to mobile computing that raises up every year you get a new one but again, reaches an equilibrium once they figure everything out, and it's not just about new and exciting, and it's, it, then it becomes about the minutia. This little thing was changed for your comfort. One people like this thing a little bit more than other people like this other thing. And uh, I, I feel like that's where it's got to be. We're, we're, we're on this weird, rocky situation, but it's it's an equilibrium. And, and it's interesting that people think there's more tragedies, let's say, on a ga- daily basis than there ever were before. And I say, no, you're just far more aware if the tsunami in japan happened in 1991 we would have talked about it for a day or two at at most we would have we wouldn't have heard about it for a few days we'd have
0: well i mean the coverage of stuff is unbelievable
1: and i gotta go mitch okay take care then that was a good session
0: we had absolutely and uh i appreciate you letting me change the day and everything because i messed up yesterday with the timing of it with the daylight saving time and all but tuesday still works for me okay i just have to make sure i am prepared you know yeah yeah
1: it's all good i i
0: had a gig last
1: night anyway so uh okay good that well. all right talk all to right. you
0: later i love you and miss you and uh i just enjoy doing this because i feel like we're right here together when i'm doing it so yeah i appreciate it very much i really enjoy it much more than i i say to you about it but i really do <laughs> Ditto. It's. Uh, I All look right.
1: forward to it every week, and I'll see you again All next right.
0: week. See you later. Be careful. I love you. I love you too. Bye bye. Bye bye.